1: This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice. Believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And, uh, boy, what a remarkable day. Several new studies and models now suggest that if Donald Trump had simply declared a national state of emergency, largely shutting down the country a few weeks earlier than he actually did that tens of thousands, perhaps a majority of the people who have died, would not have died. I mean, he certainly had the uh, information available to him. Back in November, the federal government was warning Israel that this was coming. In December, they were producing reports and sending them to the White House. In January, he was getting explicit warnings. And In fact, Peter Navarro, his trade advisor, sent him a uh, a rather detailed outline of exactly what was going to happen. But the problem is that Donald Trump doesn't read, there's a piece in the New York Times about this today, the, the frustrations that the people in the intelligence community have in briefing him. He won't read briefings. He will look at pictures, he likes satellite images, he'll look at charts and graphs, but you know he doesn't have the mental capacity to translate them into meaning, the stuff that is actually consequential. He doesn't even read memos from his staff. He, he doesn't read his speeches before he gives them, which is why he recites them so woodenly. Apparently, the only thing he reads is Twitter, and he doesn't read much of that because there's so much of it that doesn't like him. You know, Trump may have some natural skills. You say, oh, you know, he's an idiot. Well, no, he's actually a very good salesman. He's a pathological salesman. He lies, you know, which actually makes him a good grifter and a good huckster. So, you know, he's got a natural gift there. It's why, you know, back in the day when he was asked, during the campaign in 2015, he was asked, you know, who was his favorite author, what was his favorite book? And he he said, P.T. Barnum, you know, famously said, I don't care what they say about me as long as they spell my name right. So if we look at the statements from his previous teachers and professors, you know, they say that he had a mediocre or even poor intellect. So here's how banal or banal banal, I think it is, our crisis is our president is a man who is not particularly smart and never reads anything. I mean, it's it's shocking, but that's what it is. He gets all his news from billionaire Rupert Murdoch's propaganda channel, Fox News, which is famously filled with lies and scams. Meanwhile, billionaires like Betsy DeVos are funding groups pushing defiance of stand-at-home orders or mask wearing that saves lives. This feedback loop between Fox and groups funded by right-wing billionaires and Donald Trump has produced policies that have caused tens of thousands of American citizens to die unnecessarily. And I think, frankly, you know, putting a billionaire in the White House while other billionaires are funding disinformation and misinformation groups and another billionaire is running a national television propaganda channel, This could lead to as many as a quarter million dead Americans by the end of the year. So my question, do you think that history will remember this? Is history going to be kind to these oligarchs or not? I'm asserting that not. But, you know, I think it's a reasonable question. Meanwhile, the CDC is estimating that about six percent of the American population, they're doing this based on testing blood samples that were not taken as a consequence of COVID or anything else. Just, you know, looking at blood samples that have passed through their hands or those of people, uh, you know, the groups that about six percent of Americans have been infected with COVID or are currently infected with COVID. And presumably between 20 and 40 percent of them don't even know it. They don't have any symptoms but the estimate right now is 20 million Americans. Greg Abbott is talking about, well, maybe we'll pause this reopening thing. Nice, nice beginning. There are 18 states now where it is required to wear a mask in public. That's a good beginning, although Donald Trump ignores it. It's crazy. There's this crisis of mental health among our children, and I totally get that. But for context... Or perspective, I guess, would be the appropriate word. I mentioned at the end of the show yesterday that Phil Proctor sent out his newsletter. It's Planet Proctor, the May fifteenth edition, and you know I subscribe to. It. It's free. You can just get on his email list, and and he does this really nice. He's a comedian. He's the he's one of the four guys who did the who were the Firesign Theater. Two of them are still alive. Phil is one of them, and God bless him. He does good stuff. But but just consider this. Imagine that you were born in nineteen hundred. In the year 1900, 120 years ago, on your 14th birthday, World War I starts. On your 18th birthday, it ends after 22 million people have died. Later in that same year, the Spanish flu epidemic hits the planet and runs until your 20th birthday with 50 million people dead. On your 29th birthday, the Great Depression begins. Unemployment hits 25%, world GDP drops 27%. And that runs until you're 33 years old. The country nearly collapses. When you turn 39, World War II starts. You aren't even over the hill yet. And don't try to catch your breath, Phil writes, because on your 41st birthday, the U.S. is fully pulled into World War II. Between your 39th and 45th birthdays, another 75 million people perish. When you turn 50, the Korean War starts and 5 million people die. At 55, the Vietnam War starts and doesn't end for 20 years, taking 4 million people in that crisis. On your 62nd birthday, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, a tipping point in the Cold War. Life as we know it on our planet might end. When you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends. And Phil says, if you were a kid in 1985 and didn't think your 85-year-old grandparent understood how hard school was and how mean the bully in your class was, think again. You know, they survived through everything listed above. It's it's just brilliant. Obviously, our children and grandchildren, depending on how old you are, are going to have wild stories to tell their children and grandchildren. We are living through a time that is genuinely historic and extraordinarily traumatizing. And, you know, I raised this this issue a a week or two ago in talking about the Kauai Resilience Study on children who had really, really miserable lives and in many cases suffered really severe abuse. These were migrant workers on Kauai, Hawaii, on the island of Kauai, except that they couldn't migrate off the island, but they were kind of the equivalent of migrant workers. They were sugar cane workers or the children of sugar cane workers. And what they found was that while, yes, more than among the normal population were fragile, they also found that more than among the normal population were highly resilient in about equal numbers to the fragile. In other words, the, the bell curve became more of a, of a U, an upside-down U curve with larger chunks on the fragile side and larger chunks on the resilient side. There is opportunity as well as danger in all this, and there's opportunity to tell our children and grandchildren and friends and neighbors and everybody else, yeah, it's really easy to see all the horror, just like it was for our great-grandparents, you know, who might have been born in 1900 to have seen all the horror of World War I and then followed immediately by the Great Depression. Well, actually followed immediately by the Spanish flu epidemic and followed immediately by the Great Depression and then followed immediately by World War II and then followed immediately by the Korean War. And then we had, you know, seven years of peace during the Eisenhower administration and boom, it's off to Vietnam, right? We've been to hell and back in the last century. America was. And many of us learned from it. Many of us grew from it. And I think that in many ways, our country learned and grew from it. What came out of the Great Depression and World War I and the Spanish flu epidemic was the, uh, the New Deal, Franklin Roosevelt's policies, which returned optimism to America. LBJ continuing that tradition in the 1960s with the Great Society, inventing out of, you know, literally creating from scratch Medicare and Medicaid, putting them into place and all across the country. Everybody in America amending the Social Security Act by making this real. There's so much that we can look at and say, okay, you know, yeah, it's a crisis, but look what comes out of crises. The Trump administration, Josh Kravinsky reporting over a Talking Points memo. Trump administration is ending funding and support for local COVID-19 testing sites around the country over the course of the next week. That's it. No more. Sorry. Texas, Josh notes, will be particularly hard hit by this decision. In Dallas County, Texas, the federal government will end support on June 30th for the two testing sites it has been supporting since March. Rocky Vaz confirmed to TPM. He's the director of emergency management. The city of Dallas asked the federal government for an extension beyond June 30th, but the Trump administration said, No, sorry. You guys are on your own. Donald Trump asked us to slow down the testing, so we're going to slow down the testing. Seriously, it's happening. What's going on with Trump? What's going on with COVID-19? I think this is a substantial question that we really need to be asking. And our response to it, by the way, this uh, was just absolutely horrified. This is in the New York Times, Jessica uh, Silver Greenberg and Amy Julia Harris writing the headline. The headline kind of summarizes the story, although I'll share a few sentences from the story with you. They just dumped him like trash. That's a quote. Nursing homes evict vulnerable residents. On a chilly afternoon in April, Los Angeles police found an old disoriented man crumpled on a Koreatown sidewalk several days earlier. R.C. Kendrick, an 88-year-old with dementia, was living at Lakeview Terrace, On April 6th, the nursing home deposited Mr. Kendrick at an unregulated boarding house without bothering to inform his family. Keep in mind, this guy has dementia. Less than 24 hours later, he was wandering the city alone. Mr. Kendrick's ouster came as the nursing home was telling staff members to try to clear out less profitable residents. To make room for a new class of customers who generate more revenue, patients with COVID-19. Yes, it's an opportunity to make some money. Similar scenes, they write, this again, the New York Times, similar scenes are playing out at nursing homes nationwide. They are kicking out old and disabled residents, shunting them into homeless shelters, rundown motels, and other unsafe facilities, according to 22 watchdogs in 16 states. Now, I remember when uh, Louise's grandmother was in her mid-90s. She was 92, 93 years old. And we were trying to get her into a nursing home because she'd reached the point where she was starting to get dementia, getting near the end of her life. And we were negotiating with nursing homes. She ended up in one. In fact, she ended up, we moved her out of the first one because uh, it was just terrible. This was paid for by Medicaid. You go through all this effort to get your grandma in a nursing home, and then you discover that grandma's been dumped in a homeless shelter? Honest to God? The New York Times, again, more than 10,000 residents and their families complained to watchdogs about being discharged in 2018, the last year for which data is available. That was just the people who took the trouble to complain, 10,000 of them just in 2018. It's mind-boggling. Meanwhile, the Trump administration has notified the insurance industry that your profits are more important than public health. You don't have to pay for COVID-19 tests. If somebody has insurance with your company and they get a COVID-19 test and it costs 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 300 bucks, in one case it costs $3,000 dollars, If they show up at a hospital and and get the test in the ER, you get the whole ER bill. Well, if one of your insured people shows up and gets a, a COVID test, positive or not, you don't have to pay for the test. Representative Frank Ballone Jr. tweets, once again, the Trump administration is prioritizing corporate profits over people. I'm deeply concerned this will disproportionately impact frontline workers, those people who need regular COVID tests but can't afford to pay for them. Meanwhile, David Javier in an article published in Yahoo Finance describes this just absolutely shocking situation that literally there is not a conservative government in Europe that is saying don't wear a mask. Don't wear a mask is not part of the vocabulary of conservatives, of right-wingers in Europe. But it is here. Why is that? (laughs) This gets back to my original question. Why is Trump so enthusiastic to have a couple hundred thousand dead Americans? What's the upside to him? I pointed out a couple days ago, I think that one of the reasons why he's starting to lose so badly to Joe Biden in the polls is that independents and even Republicans are saying, you know, yeah, I may love his tax cuts, but I don't want to die. What do you think? Why do you think this is going on? This
2: is the Tom Hartman program.
1: Why is America one of the only countries in the world where being conservative, in quotes, means don't wear a mask? What the hell is that all about? Steve in Simi Valley, California. Hey, Steve, what's up?
3: I'm a big fan of Joe Biden, having been ever since 1972 when he ran as a 29 year old skinny kid. And so I'm concerned, though, with the Democratic National Convention about his acceptance speech. History has shown that when someone is unhappy with an incumbent, and the challenger gives their acceptance speech, it solidifies the support of the challenger. It just doesn't look good if Biden gives a speech before an empty stadium, and I don't know what the Democrats are gonna do.
1: And you are right, there is a certain amount of crowd effect. When people see lots and lots of people cheering somebody on, they think, oh, there must be something worth cheering there. This is why they use laugh tracks in comedies, because, you know, hey, I'm going to laugh along with the people who are laughing. We will applaud along with the people who are applauding. We will cheer along with the people who are cheering. We're talking about a virtual convention now. I don't know how it's going to play out, uh, Steve. I, I really don't. You know, and I have no inside information on this. I don't think, though, that the Republican convention is going to be any better in fact i think it may well be even worse because donald trump is insisting that the rnc uh, you know he's moving it now down to florida i believe it's fort lauderdale and uh, the town that he wants to move it to is saying no we don't want you here you know <laughs> we, don't, we don't want the, or they don't want the republicans there. they don't want trump there they don't want to expand the coronavirus epidemic and it's just getting worse by the day in florida And so I suspect that Trump is going to be in a far more disastrous situation because he's doing this whole denial of reality thing. So, you know, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I'm not so freaked out about it. Steve, thanks for the call. Mike in Columbus, New Mexico. It's
4: 105 degrees here today. And the idea that the coronavirus might be killed by the heat could be true, but what is happening is When it gets this hot, people are going inside their houses and gathering in their houses in closed Mm -hmm. spaces with air conditioning, especially evaporative coolers or swamp coolers, which gives high humidity and coolness. The ideal circumstances for coronavirus. And so we might actually get a spike in the coronavirus Mm -hmm. because of the heat rather than a decrease.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the spike in cases that we're seeing right now is the perfectly predictable result of Memorial Day. Mm -hmm. Memorial Day was roughly three weeks ago, and here we are. We're seeing the, the infections kick up. Two, three, four weeks from now, we're gonna start seeing those translate into deaths in hospitals, and that's gonna kick up. But then, this last weekend was Father's Day, and Father's Day happened during a time that all these states are, quote, opening up, including here, you know, blue states like Oregon, and I'm really concerned that in five, six weeks, you're going to see a lot of fathers dying because, uh, you know, they got together with their kids over Father's Day, you know, uh, fathers who are, you know, over 50. They're at considerable risk. This morning, I was seeing the, you know, that you talk about swamp coolers, these fans with water sprayed into them down in Arizona, rather, for Trump's megachurch rally. Jeez, it's terrible. Let me throw another piece into the hopper here for this conversation about how long is it going to take for us to recover? A, how long is it going to take for us to recover from the depression? B, how long is it going to take us to recover from the public health emergency? C, how long is it going to take for us to recover from the damage that's been done to our democracy by three and a half years of the Trump administration? And I would add the eight years of the Bush administration before that, you know, going all crazy Patriot Act on us and things like that. But let me add something to this. We may never have a vaccine for the coronavirus, for this coronavirus, because we have never successfully developed any vaccine for any coronavirus. And we've tried. We've tried to develop vaccines for MERS. We've tried to develop vaccine for SARS. We have certainly tried to develop vaccines for 50 years now for the common cold, which is a a category of coronavirus. None of them work. Uh, Similarly, we've tried to create a vaccine for AIDS. None of them worked. But we do have drugs that mitigate the impact of AIDS. So we may have therapeutics that will mitigate the impact of this coronavirus. But what if there isn't, you know, what if we have several years here where there is no therapeutic? It's still a horrible, horrible disease that knocks you down very, very badly. And, and, you know, can cause permanent lasting brain damage, kidney damage, lung damage, vascular system, heart damage. And we know it does all those things right now. What does that do for us? Because keep in mind that you've got countries like, you know, again, Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan, South Korea. You've got countries that have been very successful at collapsing the number of infections they have. And you're seeing this all across Western Europe as well. And now many of those countries are in the process of actually trying to eradicate. This is what's called a containment strategy. They're containing the virus. And now they're working to eradicate it. And then on the other hand, you've got countries that are not doing that. Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, here in the United States, Donald Trump, Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines where it is just going right through the roof, And if you take New York, if you take the Northeast, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, out of the statistics, here in the United States, it's still going through the roof, And it's going to get worse with Trump's opening the country. So, what happens if this virus is so deeply buried in the United States now, with, you know, a million and a half diagnosed cases, probably four or five million actual cases floating around that it's just continuously endemic. It'll be like the years that we lived with typhoid or with yellow fever. We had periodic, you know, we had periodic typhoid epidemics in New York. Edgar Allan Poe fled New York City and went upstate to avoid the typhoid epidemic. Been there before. How long does that last? Anyway, Sarah in Tarzana, California. Hey, Sarah, what's up?
4: Question that people should start asking Trump in press conferences when he starts spouting off like a doctor. He's insulting people like my late father, who was a valedictorian of his med school class. People should point blank ask him, Donald, what medical school did you go
5: to? Can you prove you? Well, you know his response know you're to that, talking Sarah. About?
6: He
1: has a response to that. He was at the CDC and he said, I've got an uncle, uh, John Trump, who he's passed away now, who was a a scientist and a professor at MIT. And uh, therefore, I've got a really big brain and, you know, it's all in the genes. That's I mean, that's literally he said that more than once a couple days ago. He said, I've got a really good you know what he pointed to his head. I mean, he didn't want to be ridiculed again. But uh, yeah, he's trying to play doctor and it's not working out so well. Charisse in Polsbo, Washington.
4: Yeah, hi. You may have heard of fresh uh, coronavirus outbreak in Germany.
1: Yeah, this is in uh, Rhine-Westphalia, isn't
4: it? Yeah, it's in a town of Guttoslo. It's a town mm-hmm. of about just under 100,000 people. Yeah, There's a meat packing plant. More than 1,500 workers have been infected, and there are about 7,000 oh. people working that plant. So I just want to tell you how Germany, uh, Prime Minister of North rhine westphalia how he mm. responded. They completely locked down the area. Like outdoor gatherings of more than two people, again, is prohibited. And yeah, they
1: closed the schools?
4: The schools, restaurants, everything closed, again, just like they did in March. Everything closed. Mm-hmm. And uh, until the end of this month. And they set up testing centers immediately. Anybody who wants to get or needs to get tested can go and get tested. So that's how uh, Germany... You know, yeah. and it, it's Germany takes this stuff yet, seriously.
1: Uh, I mean, go, go ahead.
4: I'm sorry. Um, most of the workers are from uh, either Romania, Bulgaria, or Poland. They're, they're contract workers and they stay in, you know, whatever housing they provide there. you know, they're tight living conditions. They don't know exactly yet how it happened, how the infection started. But there are also many people who travel from Bielefeld. That's a bigger town. They have about 300,000 and maybe 20 kilometers away. So they don't really know yet how far it's been sp- spreaded. So, you know, but it's pretty serious. But they're dealing with it immediately. I mean, drastic. It's not like you know, so. Anyway, that's uh, all I wanted to report. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Uli. It's a good one, and and you know what a contrast. You've got a country, Germany, has a prime minister who has a PhD in physics, and who is listening to the scientists. You've got a meatpacking plant that has an outbreak in that country, and immediately the government says, "Okay, that's it." You know, we're cracking down. No more of this. That's it. Period. Full stop. We are going to do something about this. And sure enough, they are. The company's billionaire CEO, the, the company's name is, I believe, Tunis. Billionaire CEO Clemens Tunis held a press conference, I'm reading here from uh, The Guardian, in which he apologized for his company's management of the crisis and said he would take full responsibility for what had to be done to combat it. Remarkable. You're not going to see. It. And teams have been sent to towns and communities and surrounding areas to carry out tests. Family members of those who work at the factories are all being tested. Thirty-two testing teams were sent to this town. Meanwhile, we've got meatpacking plants in red states all over the U.S. where red state governors are just going, oh, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't see any problem. It's just all good, isn't it? David in Spotswood, New Jersey. Hey, David. What's on your mind? There?
3: Hey. How you doing? First of all, I'd like to say that myself and many other people, not deliberately, but part of the system, we're part of the climate change problem because I work from 8 in the morning to midnight every day, every day. And by doing so, I'm using up a lot of carbon. So I'm not even having fun ruining the environment. The reason for my call is I was calling about the employer retention credit. It's uh, mm-hmm. when you get $5,000 per employee per $10,000. I'm actually taking advantage of that with five employees, but that's all I'm going to pay. I'm mean, do 10,000 per employee, get the money back and then and then let them go. I I have no idea who thought this up that would help would help the economy long term. It just it just well, I think the assumption like, at the
1: time that that was passed David was that kind of a bizarre assumption, but the assumption was that the coronavirus would be gone in a matter of months. That you know people were looking at Wuhan in China where the Chinese government came in with a, a massive lockdown and a really comprehensive uh, program of, of testing and then contact tracing those people who are infected and, and, and quarantining them. And the result was that in about three or four months, Wuhan was able to open back up again. So they just assumed that the same well, thing would happen alone. in the United States. But, but what they didn't figure is got this boy king idiot in the White House who never did the testing and contact tracing.
3: That's all true, but the problem is it's a low number. If it was a higher yeah. number, people like me would would keep people around longer. And I wish I could, but the, there's a lot wrong with the CARES Act. It, Ed, that's not um, sure. that's not that's not helping.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree at all. And like I said, I think that you know, in part, that was because a lot of the assumptions that were conventional wisdom at the time that it was written were false assumptions, and they didn't account for how brutally incompetent the Trump administration would be.
3: The Democrats voted for it too, I mean, only one
1: oh, yeah, person I know. voted against it. The corporate bailout half of it was mostly Republicans, and the individual bailout half of it was mostly Democrats. And, and I think both of them were operating on uh, assumptions that, uh, frankly, were unsustainable. Are you going to be laying your people back off again, David? Or are you just, I mean, are you just passing yeah. the money through to them?
3: Yeah, ideally, I'd like to have just one person.
1: Working with your company. the
3: credit, I wouldn't get the retention. I would only get $5,000. I'm getting $50,000. Now, is that via the state or the federal government? Federal government. You file a form with the IRS, and it will pay off in March in July. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Interesting. David, thanks for the call. I'm personally not familiar with that program. and probably should be as a business owner. This week on The Science Revolution, about that happiness, is it time to stop being so careful? Is spontaneity the key to happiness? Professor Janice Brainy is here on plastic rain pouring down in our national parks and everywhere. Tony Corbo with Food and Water Watch drops by to warn Americans the USDA is trying to outsource chicken processing to China and what that means. Tune in wherever you find fine podcasts. Tom in Jerusalem. Hey, Tom, what's up? Jerusalem, Israel. Hey, Tom. What's yeah, up? Hey, How are you
2: doing? Hey, um, I blogged for the Times of Israel, and uh, I was asked to uh, do a piece because I'm trying to get a job at an internet radio station up in uh, Renana. And this guy asked me to do something about COVID-19. And I found out that Al Jazeera, just, well, it was April 28th, there is a test kit that is being trialed, run in Senegal that's going to be 10 minutes and cost $1, okay? New Scientist has covered this. And China now, I saw this just five hours ago, they're going to have a summit conference for themselves and Asian countries. So, you know, it's not just the meat stuff that the Chinese are looking at. They're looking at a revolutionary weapon in the fight against COVID-19. But Senegal is doing so much better than we are. They have one-sixth of the deaths that Israel does. Their recovery rate, we had like 19,000 recovered. They have 3,228. They have a much lower confirmed rate. I mean, long story short, you have a developed country that's doing a lot worse than a developing country, and
1: these. Well, sometimes, sometimes, Tom. Great. Though, when you when you start comparing those statistics, what you're looking at is a country that is full two, three, four months into the infection process, yeah. and so you now the deaths yeah, are starting right. to pop up versus a country that's only okay. one or two months into the process. So it hasn't okay. it hasn't. I, I mean, that can really skew your stats. That's
2: true. That's true. That's true. And that's why I was just saying this could be apples and oranges, but but still one dollar test kit, you know.
1: Well, what I think we're going to end up with, Tom, you know, Mm -hmm. in Jerusalem, you've got uh, or in Israel, rather, you've largely got the coronavirus in a bag. Most of Europe has it in a bag. They've got, it, they've got it covered in lockdown, with the exception of the United Kingdom. Most of Asia has it in a bag. Australia and New Zealand have it under control. I think that a year from now or two years from now, we're gonna have basically yeah. two kinds of countries in the world. You're gonna have countries where COVID is running rampant and is still endemic. And you're going to have countries where COVID is under control. And there are going to be actual physical barriers between those countries, not just borders, but also, you know, flights and everything else. That's the direction that I see this thing moving, because I don't think this virus is going to go away. If anything, it's going to mutate. In fact, the most recent mutation that's been documented makes it even slightly more infectious. So, you know, the the spikes, the protein spikes are more resilient. This was in Nature magazine yesterday. And, uh, you know, I think that's the direction we're going. What do
2: you think? I don't know if that's going to be our case because 70% of our Corona is coming from you guys.
1: Yeah, the- yeah, that's that's the point, is that countries are going to start saying, and some already have, you know, no, we don't want anybody from the United States. And and and, and then, you know, if Trump leaves and a, and Biden comes in, it's going to take a year, maybe two years of intermittent shutdowns, lots and lots of testing and uh, contact yeah. tracing okay. to get us to the position that Israel's in right now, that South Korea's in right now, that Taiwan's in right now, that Australia's really in, exactly. in right now, where, yeah, you, occasion- you have the occasional pop-up or flare, but yeah, basically yeah. the virus is under control. And people, you know, yes. like this email that I read on the air a couple of days ago from a, from yes, a listener yes. in Australia, saying in New Zealand had a soccer match with people in the stands.
2: I mean, they've got this exactly. thing under control. Wow, you're still a wonderful man. You're a mensch. You're such
6: okay, a thank
1: you. And I thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you, Rudy, in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind?
6: You know how we use the metaphor with Jim Jones? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a met- that's not a metaphor anymore. It's yeah, I almost interrupted you to say lot, I'm
1: not sure that's a metaphor.
6: Right. It's not a metaphor anymore. And and a lot of people will get sick. A lot of people will die. That's the scary part and the worst part, this is at the feet of white America. I mean it, 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 it is. In in my mind, I, I don't I don't say that in a celebratory manner. It's just how this guy's manipulating yeah. the media.
1: Yeah, Rudy, to the best of my knowledge, there is no black, no mask movement. There is no Hispanic or Asian, no mask movement. The no mask movement, when I see these crowds and these open back up and all this kind of stuff, I see nothing but white people. Is that your point?
6: Right. Well, what I'm saying is this is going to hit home. Eventually yeah. this is going to hit home and it's not, we sit up and say, oh, Jim Jones is using it as, as a metaphor. No, this is going down. It's heartbreaking, Tom, because this isn't going to end pretty. Yep. Change has never ended pretty. A lot of folks, a lot of us are going to bite the dust behind this and it troubles me. It. I went to bed last night holding my wife's hand. We just went to bed holding each other's hands talk
1: to you. Be good. Okay. Thank you, Rudy. Yeah, we need to hang on to each other. I get it. Karen in Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind?
4: Book that was written or compiled. I believe her name is Brandy Lee, the psychiatrist from Yale. Yeah, we
1: had her on this program last year.
4: One of the essays in there diagnosed Trump with a type of mental illness that if he thinks he's going to go, he's going to take everyone with him. Hmm. And that's why he's so frightening as having access to nuclear weapons.
1: That makes sense. That makes y- you haven't so heard that
4: before, huh?
1: Um, yeah, I had. I didn't know that it was in that book, though. I've got, I think it's over at the studio, but uh, we have Brandi Lee's book. She was on, a guest on this show. And you're right, it's a whole series of articles by other people, but, you know, it's an anthology. But I didn't know that there was a specific piece in there that says that. I'll have to look for that.
5: Yeah, I found, yeah, or I found maybe it we frightening should get when I Lee read it. On the
1: show. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> well, Do you remember which psychiatrist
1: wrote that part or psychologist? Oh,
5: unfortunately, no. Um, I'd have to go back to it okay. myself.
1: Thank you, Karen. Thank you. David in Seattle. Hey, David, what's up?
5: We got these people that are refusing to wear masks, and we just, you just had a caller come in and mention the three officers in North Carolina. But there's all these mm. other things that we already have in place, such as no shoes, no service. The National Baseball League is implementing no spitting, which was also made a law in 1918 during the Spanish flu. We, have, we don't have people in California and Florida who are crying, this is unconstitutional. I can't go into a store unless I put my flip-flops on. Why can't people right. just wrap their Which is a public health around, like, measure, this mask by the way. It's just one more thing. Yeah, exactly. It's public health. Like, pub, we have all these things in public, like keep the public health to keep the public safe. And it revolves around like how we act in public. And this mask thing is just another new one.
1: I am totally with you, David. And uh, there is no constitutional basis for saying that uh, you don't have to wear a mask if that's the law. There is no constitutional basis for it. This is not about Freedom. Mark in San Francisco, listening to uh, to iHeartRadio there. Hey, Mark, what's up?
2: Uh, not much, Tom. You know,
3: I think uh, that this election is going to come down to the candidate that can bring the economy back. And I believe the Democrats mm-hmm. should start putting it usually up, does. So, yeah, and I think in, in this case especially, and I think we have to be Trump at that, making the argument that we're the better party with the Green New Deal and infrastructure, and that basically he destroyed- this economy, and these jobs that he wants to bring back are no longer there. We have to win that argument.
1: It's going to be a tough needle to thread, Mark, because the way that, I mean, look at the countries that have succeeded in doing this, you know, New Zealand, Australia, Taiwan, South Korea, um, you know, uh, France now, Spain, Germany. Um, What you have to do is you have to shut the entire country down. And then while the country is shut down, you have to put into place testing and contact tracing, you know, a a good, comprehensive, nationwide program. And because you've got a nation, I mean, you know, individual states' borders are porous. You have to have a nationwide program. And then once that program is in place and everybody's wearing masks, then you can start opening the country back up. Well, Trump never did that. He shut the country down. We all you know, allowed the economy to completely collapse for three months so that Trump would have time to put into place testing and contact tracing and national mask wearing. He never did it. And then he sabotaged his own shutdown the day after the New York Times and The Washington Post reported that most of the people dying of COVID were not white people. They were, they were black and brown people. And, and so, you know, Joe Biden is going to have to come along and say, OK, if I become president, I'm going to shut the country down and I'm going to do it right We are going to have, uh, during that shutdown, we are gonna put into place widespread testing and contact tracing so that we can come out of it safely on the other end, the way that all these other countries around the world have done. But the, 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 the razor's edge there for him is going to be saying, yes, if I'm president, I'm going to shut the country down for the first three months. And people are going to go, oh, my God, not again. I'm not going to do that, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So it's going to be tough politically. But, but this is, in my opinion, this is how it has to play out. Eleanor in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Eleanor, what's up?
5: I read an article this weekend that was talking about the lack of oversight for the coronavirus funding. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious on what your take on it is. Do you think that someone's going to step up and really get the Republicans to admit that they've been stealing from the American people during a moment of crisis?
1: Democrats are trying. In the House of Representatives, they're, they're trying to subpoena some of these people. But the position Republicans take is that they are unaccountable. They're above the law. They don't have to respond to subpoenas. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to do anything. And, you know, Steve Mnuchin is the one passing out this half a trillion dollars. And he has now said he's not gonna tell you who he's giving it to. So, I mean, this is, this is the most obscene corruption I think I've ever seen in the federal government. And I'm really surprised there's not more outrage about it. Again, you know, flip it around. If, if Barack Obama d- did a, a bailout, which he did, and all that money was invisible. If we never got to know where that money went, can you imagine how the media and the GOP would be dealing with this, Eleanor?
5: It's just infuriating as I'm a millennial, and I read an article this morning that said millennials are either going to have to fight for major change just so that they get the same level of Social Security that their parents have gotten. I mean, I pay a third of my salary into Social Security And I support it. I mean, I want there to be a social safety net for anyone who is of age or anybody that needs it. And so to see something like this again in a major moment of crisis um, and knowing that they just refuse to take responsibility for this robbery, this thievery. I mean, it's insane. I, I, I can't even... I, don't, I can't talk to a local representative, but I can't believe how this isn't with everything that's going on, and there's you know, another hot-button issue every single day, but for this to not be one of the main things that we're talking about, this is insane.
4: Right.
1: And, and let me add, Eleanor, as a millennial, you are now covered by Social Security, and that's a big deal. You can't buy an insurance policy for any price. That does what Social Security does for you as a millennial. One of my best friends, uh, Michael Hutchison, was out jogging in his late 40s. He was out jogging in uh, Albuquerque or in Santa Fe in the winter. And it was an icy, uh, icy bridge he was jogging over. He slipped, he fell literally off the bridge into the river below, broke his neck and was uh, paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of his life. And he died a couple of years ago in his, in his early 60s. But all those years that he was living at home, he had a healthcare worker who came in every day and basically did everything for him. He was paralyzed from the neck down. That was all paid for by Social Security. Social Security disability. You have a multi-million dollar insurance policy. You and every other person in America through Social Security. It's, in fact, it's a third of all Social Security payments go out for disability like that. And the Republicans want to do away with that too. So, uh, you know, the easy fix is just to remove the cap. Right now, if you make more than $130,000 a year, you no longer pay into Social Security with your payroll tax. And if uh, that cap was eliminated, you know, and billionaires paid into Social Security like everybody else does, everybody would be protected. So, Eleanor, that's a really, really good point. And it's just mind-boggling, the absolute theft that's happening. Eleanor, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Fran in Florida, Massachusetts.
7: We have a new pandemic coming and it's called injustice. You know, despite all the medical scientific community, uh, the CDC, H, uh, WHO, um, who have all recommended wearing masks, uh, washing your hands and keeping a far distance away from everybody, And um, a lot of us are playing by the rules. And yet when you got our uh, president, vice president, holding rallies where, like, as a badge of uh, courage, uh, won't wear the mask. The people that show up won't wear the mask. They sit like sardines in these auditoriums. And they're going to be spreading the virus. And yep. you know countries uh, like in Asia not there, and in Europe that reacted quickly when they discovered uh, this virus. Um, in Asia, there's many countries that the death rate is uh, in single digits. And in yep. Europe, if you look at the, the charts, we're skyrocketing and yet the eu is more or less you know almost bottomed out you know what i mean everything's
3: pretty
1: much yeah, under austria control. saw a 90 percent drop in transmission simply by mandating the wearing of masks absolutely right fran and why the trump administration won't do this baffles me i you know that this is the hill that donald trump has decided that he's going to politically die on baffles me but that's what's going on and you know i i get it i get the emails from freedom works you know the billionaire group saying we got to open the country back up we want to make some money you know i don't think that trump is just dancing to that tune sorry friend
7: the pandemic that i'm talking about tom is getting worse and worse I heard on the news this morning that one of the largest hospitals in the country is in Houston, and they're at 97% capacity. And you play by the rules, you legitimately come down with the virus, and all of a sudden you're turned down because there's no beds. You know what I'm saying? No, it it has has the potential to be very,
1: very dangerous. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, Fran, and, and I remember... Uh, Memorial Day, you know, roughly three weeks ago, Louise and I were kind of stir-crazy, as I think everybody is, right? And so I said, let's go for a ride. And we're not going to go anywhere in particular, but we're just going to go out and drive around, see parts of Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington, sister cities on either side of the Columbia River, that we've never seen before. So we went exploring. And as we were driving around downtown Vancouver, there's this new waterfront area that they're developing, and there was a, a farmer's market there. And there were probably 300 people in this farmer's market, you know, uh, maybe 60 or 70 of them, people running stalls and stands. Those people had masks on, but none of the customers, you know, well, maybe, maybe 5% of the customers had masks on. And I referenced this in an op-ed I wrote for Alternet the following week. You know, that we are going to see two or three weeks down the road an explosion of cases. If what we saw in Vancouver, Washington and Portland, Oregon on Memorial Day, when all these people were out, we live uh, just down the road from a little park. And there were people all over the park without masks on Memorial Day, having family picnics. And, And I'm like, you know, if this is happening all over the country, then there's going to be an explosion two, three weeks down the road. And sure enough, look around you. It's going on right now. And the next explosion that's going to happen, you know, outside of the ones that are going to be, you know, location specific, having to do with Trump rallies, the next explosion that's going to happen is going to be old people dying five, six, seven weeks out from you know, the deaths start happening six, seven weeks out. The initial illnesses start showing up a week or two out. The hospitalizations start three, four weeks out. You know, this is now we know the progression of this disease. People visiting dad or grandpa killed them. You know, I, that's what we're going to see, in my humble opinion. Jeff in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey,
3: Jeff.
8: Hey, uh, Tom, appreciate you taking my call. Sure enjoy your show. Hey, I want to comment, I'm from North Carolina, obviously, and our cases here are skyrocketing as well. We're one of the eight states that if we go to New York, travel to New York have to quarantine, I have a daughter who lives in Queens, I was planning on visiting mm-hmm. her this summer, looks like that's out. But what I want to comment on, uh, Governor Cooper here mandated yesterday that he's going to have the uh, the mask mandate uh, start on Friday. So I saw a news clip a few minutes ago here in North Carolina that three sheriffs, I don't know what towns they're from, but three sheriffs have already declared that they're not going to enforce the, the mask mandate, that it's unconstitutional, was the quote in the news clip. And I'm just wondering, what in the hell is a yeah, sheriff this morning- doing? That- determining what is constitutional or what is not constitutional. Just want to see what your comments might be on that. Thank you.
1: This is this thought virus that uh, Richard Mack and his buddies have been spreading among sheriffs and police officers in the United States, that they're somehow the the supreme authority on all these things around the country.
2: And MP-
1: I was, you know, listening to the morning report, local news here from Pacific Northwest, and they were talking about how there are sheriffs in Washington State and Oregon who are refusing to enforce mask wearing. It's just a, it's just a simple traffic ticket. It's not a, you know, you don't go to jail for it or anything. We're going to see that. These are the guys, you know, they're watching Fox News, they're listening to right-wing hate radio. Uh, They think they're making a great stand for freedom, and they're idiots. I mean, they're just yeah. they're just fools. And, and, you know, the country is looking at them with with, uh, you know, shock and horror and humor. You know, these these buffoons yeah. who think they understand the Constitution, and that the Constitution has something to do with public health. They're wrong and they're fools. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit Tom Hartman for audio and video archives. Talk media for the sane left among us. It's the Tom Hartman program. The place where despair is not an option. Donald Trump was asked by Scripps Television whether he had actually told his people to slow down testing. Here was his opportunity to say, no, it was just a joke, like everybody's telling you right now. My campaign is saying it's just a joke. It was just a joke. He didn't say that. He deflected. He was like, oh, we're doing a great job with testing. And, you know, if you do more tests, you're going to get more cases. And, you know, quack, quack, quack. um, Basically just repeated his shtick. This is not good. You know, it seems like, you know, people die. Well, So what? 100,000 people die. So what? I mean, in the last flu season, we had 3,000 people die of the flu in the United States. Just a little over 3,000 people in a mild flu season, it's a little over a thousand people. I know you've heard much larger numbers in the past from the vaccine companies who want to get you to show up and get a flu shot, which is just a fine thing. I'm not opposed to flu shots at all. I get them myself every year. But, you know, the vaccine manufacturer, this is a multi-billion dollar business. Of course, they're going to promote their product and sometimes that involves exaggerating the risk or the threat. Or you could say, "Hey, we would have had 30,000 people dead if you hadn't had a, you know, if half of America hadn't gotten a flu shot." And therefore you only had 3,000. Whatever. But Trump has overseen almost 120,000 dead Americans, and we're looking at 200,000 by the end of summer. We could have 300,000 dead as we're going into the into the election. You know, uh, you know, I've told this story before, but it, it deserves repeating. Joe Stalin pointed out a million deaths. You know, he said, you know, one death is a tragedy, but a million deaths—that's a statistic—and that's what's happened. If you can take one death and really highlight it and get people to know that person, which was the brilliance of the whole say, say her name part of the Black Lives Matter response was put a human face on these, on these folks who are being murdered by the police across the United States and have been for 400 years. Put a human face on it. And our news media has not yet done that with COVID. There's no the name of somebody that you can think of who died of COVID that is like the the personification of this plague. If you look at when people started using condoms in response to HIV, when straight men, by and large, started using condoms, it wasn't in the 80s when HIV appeared to be limited to the gay population in intravenous drug users. It was in the 90s and toward the mid and late 90s as HIV started showing up in the more general population and as people started hearing stories about people who had died. And there were a few high profile people, I I still remember well when Rock Hudson died, although he was also gay, but the point is that as some famous people, particularly some famous straight people, started dying of AIDS, of HIV, AIDS, then Straight men started wearing condoms outside of the marital situation, talking about, you know, dating and things like that. And I think that what's going to happen with COVID is as it starts to hit red states, as it starts to be a crisis, you're going to see in the next couple of weeks hospitals in major cities in Florida and Texas and Arizona being overwhelmed. You're going to start seeing stories of, you know, it's going to be like New York was in March. And this is not the second wave. This is the first wave working its way from big cities in blue states down to smaller cities or big cities in red states. And then into rural areas. And there's going to be some kind of a tipping point that's hit there where the consensus becomes nationally and certainly at the state level oh, we wear masks to protect each other. And the the point that I don't think is made commonly or often enough is that, and this would be the question that I would ask any of these idiots that I see, you know, walking, you know, when Louise and I are taking our two-mile walk every day. And by the way, You've got to get exercise. You, your body will lose its muscle tone in just a matter of days. You've got to get out there and walk a couple of miles every single day, at the very least. To do your basic, you know, high school push-ups and jumping jacks and sit-ups. And I mean, you know, just don't let your body fall apart because once that hits a critical mass, it gets it gets really hard to recover your physical health. The reason why surgeons wear masks is not to protect themselves. They wear masks so that their breath filled with viruses and bacteria does not contaminate the open wounds of the people that they're operating on. And when Americans figure that out, when these average when, you know, when average people, and that's the sales pitch that should be, in my opinion, should be made by the governors of these red states is the mask is not to protect you. I, you know, there were a half, I, you know, when I was watching Trump's uh, uh, Tulsa rally, there were a few people who were wearing masks. And I'm like, these people are idiots. They think wearing a mask protects you. It doesn't. It protects other people. If people around you are spraying viruses into the air and you're breathing, they're going to get through the mask into you and you're going to get sick. But if you happen to be the one who's sick and you're breathing and talking and you've got a mask on, virtually all of the moisture coming out of your mouth is going to get caught by the mask or enough of it that you're probably not going to infect the people around you. And certainly it's not going to have the velocity it would have without the mask. You're, not be throwing, you're going to be throwing viruses three feet, four feet, five feet, six feet, eight feet, 10 feet if you're, if you're shouting. They're going to go a couple of inches past your face. The problem is that Memorial Day as as I keep pointing out I you know I think the behavior of people on Memorial Day has caused there to be this micro explosion and you combine that with all these people coming back from spring break a couple of months ago who seeded the virus all across red state America the old story of the lily pond You've got a pond that has no lily pads in it. You plant one lily pad that doubles in size every, you know, every day. Come back after a couple of months and you look at the p- lily pond and it's completely covered with lily pads. Well, on which day was it only half covered? It was one day before it was fully covered. At which day was it only one quarter covered? It was two days before it was fully covered. On what day was it only one eighth covered? It was three days before it was fully covered. In other words, slowly, slowly, slowly builds up, and then it hits this critical threshold where it's starting to hit—you know, 10 percent, 20 percent. Now it's 40 percent. Now it's 80 percent. It starts to explode. You know, this this logarithmic or this—you uh, know—this amplification, and that's what's happening in the red states right now, in part because of spring break, in part because of Memorial Day and in part because just that that's how the virus does it. So I don't think that Trump is intentionally doing this, although, you know, his intentional, the no mask part of it is clearly intentional. And he's happy to have people die, sadly, you know, tragically. Thank you all for being with us today. Be nice to yourself and others around you and spread the good word. Tag your it.
7: You've been
6: listening to Tom Hartman.